I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Facing Forward. This week, Super Bowl 55. It's Mahomes, Brady, <laughs> Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs face off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, capping off a season with obstacles throughout. The Tennessee Titans reportedly having three players and five personnel testing positive for COVID-19. We are not going to have Thanksgiving night football in the NFL. After a season of strict COVID protocols and scheduling adjustments, what were some of the lessons learned? What does it take to keep a multi-billion dollar business afloat during a pandemic? We'll get answers from Demora Smith, executive director of the NFL Players Association. Stay with us. We'll be back after a quick break. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Demoris, it's so great to have you here with us uh, ahead of the big game and what is a very, very big business that has found a way to manage through this pandemic, which is pretty, pretty impressive that we're actually having a Super Bowl this year. It's uh, let's just put it this way. It's been a, a long, probably the longest season I, I've ever had uh, in my life, um, <laughs> regardless of anything I've ever done. Uh, but, um, you know, things are, are, are good. They're looking good. But we've taken the approach all year that um, operating this business in a pandemic is a week to week, day to day enterprise. And uh, we're only a few days away and I'm not willing to allow, allow myself to relax. So a couple days and uh, we'll have a, a great game uh, with two great uh, teams and uh, something that's great for America. So I have to say up front that um, I am not a football fan. I am not a football <laughs> um, aficionado, which I have to say is disclaimer because uh, that will become abundantly clear to our listeners <laughs> uh, very quickly. <laughs> But I am someone who really appreciates the sheer scale and numbers and reading through everything that you have been able to do is what makes me fascinated that that in the midst of this pandemic, that we're having a season, that we're having a Super Bowl. And when you roll back the clock and you look at the timeline, the first COVID-related shutdowns we saw in this country, they didn't come from the government. They came from the private sector. And it was the right. sports world that really led the way in some of these cases right. with you know, the NBA nixing its season uh, midway through. And it really wasn't clear that we were going to have any season possible. Um, so what did you have to do? Where did you begin uh, in, in representing the players to be able to mm-hmm. get them safely to this point? Well, going back in in March, we had uh, just finished a bruising um, collective bargaining round with the league. We got a deal done uh, with the league, a new 11-year deal. Um, uh, I think the first week in March, we were all in Miami, Florida, the player leadership, and uh, Broward County uh, told us that they might shut down the camp. I'm sorry, that they were going to declare a uh, state of emergency and uh, the first thing I did, I bought uh, the John Barry book on the 1918 influenza 
um, downloaded it on Kindle. That is the book. Um, and uh, we we finished the vote. Uh, I think on a Sunday morning, I finished the book <laughs> by Monday afternoon, and I was terrified the entire time. But reading that book um, was really the first step. And um, looking up at, and seeing March Madness shut down, the NBA had shut down, baseball had shut down. The big takeaway that I had from the John Barry book was whether we should be playing mm-hmm. in a pandemic, just sort of the moral issue. But yeah, once you realize that there's probably not going to be a vaccine in three months and this this virus was not going to just disappear into thin air, it really became a Herculean task. And I mean, we're not just talking about well-compensated players. We're talking about the knock-on effect for people who yep. sell popcorn in stadiums. I mean, there is just such a wave of impact that comes off of having a season or not having a season at all. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I mean, that's huge. That's a huge economic hit. So how did you make that judgment? You said you had to decide whether it was worth it to play at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you decide it was worth it to, to put people at risk? Right. It wasn't so much a worth question. It, it was a moral question. In March or April, May, we didn't know um, the, the airborne uh, capabilities of this virus. We didn't know whether there was going to be long-term consequences. So the, the, the moral question was one about whether playing NFL football would unduly pose a risk to the community and, and whether we would be in a world where somehow we were taking resources away from the country. Because I, I was concerned that if we couldn't ensure that we weren't spreading the virus to the community or we weren't overtaxing our health uh, provider system, you know, I would have made the decision and recommended to our players that we not play football. The second one, though, is is it is a big business, not only for the players, but for everyone. You know, if you think about a football field and you draw a concentric circle around the field, you know, it doesn't take you long before you get to the folks who are, are working in the stands, the people who are providing the, the seats, the stadium, and then outside of that, the first responders who are working our games, and then outside of that, the, the travel industry, the hotel industry that, that's hosting the players, and, and then outside of that, you know, a whole group of people who are impacted by our business and you know, very quickly we realized that if we we tested, mass tested, if we had a robust contact tracing program, if we could convince our guys to wear masks, change football to to improve uh, social distancing, um, that that we could actually um, uh, suppress the spread of the virus. And I, I honestly, the thing I'm most happy about is not only did we make it, I, I think it provided a great blueprint of, of how the rest of the country can have businesses come back. Right. It's not easy. And um, again, knock on wood, we only have one more game, but we haven't had one in-game transmission of COVID-19, which um, <laughs> is interesting, right? Um, but, but we have had transmissions you know, away from the, the field and at home. Uh, we've never had a positivity rate over 1%, and, and I'm proud of that, proud of our guys. So the NFL says 262 players tested positive, 463 personnel tested positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying that didn't happen on the field, that happened at home. How has it affected the sport, though? Um, 
Well, I, it, it has affected the sport, and and you and I are in the same boat. I, I'm not exactly a a football head. The the players elected me because um, I think because uh, I was a lawyer. Um, I think um, because you went to UVA law. Clearly, well, there you the go. best law schools in the country. Wahoo there you go. Uh, well, now I, you know, I went there. My wife went to UVA, and and now my son plays lacrosse at Maryland. So we've we've completely switched our allegiances away from Wahoo uh, to, to <laughs> Terps. But um, you know, I, I I think that the way in which we learned about the transmission of the virus um, was was exactly and, and validated the ways that most medical scientists told us that the virus is going to be transmitted. Mm-hmm. Close contact um, between people um, in, a, in an environment that's not necessarily well ventilated um, or, or transmitted through, through hand to eye, hand to mouth. Um, those were the things that we found out uh, after a year of, of football, and and certainly, you know, anyone who tested positive, um, you know, we viewed as a as as a failure of our system. But to go through t- um, an entire season to make it on the eve of the Super Bowl and and have a positivity rate that most jurisdictions would would literally you know dream of. Um, has been a really a, a success of, of the folks at the league, a success by the players. Um, but I really champion the success for, for science. And, and at a time when um, it seems that people were doubting uh, mm-hmm. the, the folks who have spent their lives keeping us healthy, um, I'm really proud of the fact that we followed their advice. Well, I mean, you ended up, the Players Association, the NFL ended up combining forces with the CDC on this research paper, I think you were just referring to, that shows how yep. to improve safety. So, I mean, the NFL is the richest league in the country. You represent the players. You had the resources. You had the initiative to an incentive here to invest in figuring this out. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? Like, what was usable for the rest of the country? You know, I think two broad frames. Um, one, um, we learned that leadership matters. Um, early on in this March, April, May, uh, you probably know that we've had a few dust ups with uh, with the National Football League over the last twelve years. Um, a lot of dust ups over the last sixty years. Um, you know, at the beginning, we didn't agree uh, on daily testing. The players believed that we needed to test every day. Um, we we didn't believe that we should really have a robust off season um, workouts. Um, and the players didn't believe that it was smart for us to have um, a regular preseason schedule. Um, the league didn't agree with those three things initially. So really the first battle was over leadership. And, those and we, are the, the exhibition games before the season. Correct. Games. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we have a collective bargaining agreement. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that, that we're a strong union. So, um, we had a short-term battle over those three things. The, the league agreed our way. Um, the second thing about resources, um, yes, we, we're, we're blessed in, in the National Football League. But w- what we wanted to force the league to do is to say simply, you, the employer, um, have an obligation to provide a safe workplace or a workplace that's as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. If the cost of daily testing... Um, is what's necessary in order to put on this game, then that's the cost that the employer should bear. 
So, I mean, this wasn't perfect. I mean, let, let's be honest. Some of the some of the no. players were cavalier about the restrictions. Um, the league's wow. COVID plan had to change like a month into the season. There were vi- video surveillance systems put in to track whether players were wearing masks and keeping their distance. Um, I mean, <laughs> what was behind that? Why, why was it necessary to put in these monitoring systems? Once we answered the question of should we play, morally should we play, um, and then we came up with protocols that we wanted not only the coaches to abide by and, and team personnel to abide by, but the leadership made a decision that all players were going to abide by that. It's a short step then to say that the players also agreed to monitoring uh, systems and, and in some cases video cameras um, in, in common areas of the training facilities in order to ensure compliance. Um, every person uh, who was in tier one wore a, a contact tracer, a little plastic box that measured um, everybody that you came into contact with that day and the amount of time uh, that you spent and the proximity that you had. The players made a decision that that since we were going to engage in this effort to play and, and as a group of workers, we had come up with what we thought could work as a union. Um, I'm proud of the fact that they also included compliance. And, and to your point, it wasn't perfect. We we had Denver, I, I think, play without a number of quarterbacks. We had some teams play with only one running back. The Cleveland Browns this year played a playoff game without a coach. Why were some of these folks not taking it seriously or was it just too much? I I think that what we saw in the National Football League were a microcosm of the country. You had Mm. some people who continued to think that they were somehow immune uh, to COVID. You had some people who believed that um, it was better just to get it. You had some people who just simply did not want to engage um, in the rigor um, or the discipline the good news is I'm glad that for the most part, that was a um, incredibly small number of people in the National Football League who who flouted the rules. But I will say, um, and again, we agreed with it with the National Football League, when there was evidence that, that people were willingly disobeying um, the, the compliance measures, mm-hmm. um, hefty fines were, were doled out to coaches and teams. And I, I think that was necessary. And um, it's probably one of the things that led us to um, to where we are today. Are you going to ask the league to mandate vaccinations of players? Um, that's a question that, again, is collectively bargained. Um, mm-hmm. We have some are time. Are you looking at it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it'll be an issue that's ultimately um, um, influenced by collectively bargained. What I care about right now um, is doing anything we can uh, in the National Football League to promote uh, getting the vaccine. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents are in their uh, 90s. They got the vaccine the other day. Um, I know that there's a level of mistrust out there about the vaccine, um, but but I do think that we are at a point in our country where it simply takes all of us to to, to keep our country safe. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll address the issue of vaccines with the National Football League during the offseason. Um, but but let's put it this way: N- no no professional athlete should be jumping the line to to yeah. get uh, the vaccine. I, I certainly don't believe in that. But you do have a lot of influencers, obviously um, people yep. with huge followings. Will we see NFL players out there doing public service announcements saying, "Go out and get your shot in the arm"? 
I expect to see that, and and only because, uh, well, not because I've I've had any specific conversations with players about doing that, but um, this entire season we we've seen players step up to the plate on social justice issues, um, equality issues, um, police brutality issues, um, issues of democracy. So the fact that our our, our men and their families have stepped up uh, to the plate. Uh, to to be a part of their community, um, I, I would be surprised if we wouldn't have players doing exactly the same thing when it comes to uh, beating COVID and getting the vaccine. Demora, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break here. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. So there are two Kansas City Chiefs players who came in contact with a barber, apparently, who tested positive. Do you know what the the latest is? Will, Will they be able to play in Sunday's game? They are currently in the high-risk close contact uh, protocol, so they're being tested, uh, diligently tested, um, and and isolated away from the rest of the team. Um, once we get the final round of tests from them um, Friday and Saturday, uh, we'll know whether they'll be playing in the game. So you, you talked about this a little bit earlier, but the, the sport itself has gotten – political and it's gotten politicized in the past few mm-hmm. years. Um, it, it's on everyone's radar now. Um, and activism among the players uh, has brought, you know, praise and controversy to the NFL. Um, yep. Where are we now with the league accepting that activism from players? Yeah, well, it's been a, a journey. Um, I think I have always been one who, wanted to ex, you know exhort our players to not view themselves as somehow you know disconnected or or um, isolated from their community you know players came out of the tunnel in uh, St. Louis several years ago after the riots and, and shooting in Ferguson we had players protest the Vietnam War uh, back in the the 60s um, and 70s sport you know I would argue has always had an element of, of politics in it um, and I know that uh, the, the flip side of the argument that, you know, I've, I've heard, let's just say more than once from almost everybody who just wants to come up to me and give me their opinion, <laughs> that <laughs> sports should be an escape for people and that Sunday should be something where people come together without controversy. 
I've always kind of responded to those things simply by saying, you know, when in our country have we simply been at our best when we try to escape the things that everyday people have to deal with? I don't necessarily see um, sports as being over politicized or under politicized. I see it as a reflection of the country. And and I think that um, the, the, the fact that the NFL has done a better job of embracing the authenticity of our players over the last few years Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think it's been great for the sport, but also the moral and right thing to do. So I know one issue that's being talked about these days is um, the lack of minority representation among coaches. Um, yep. you know, black NFL players make up 70% of the league, but the, the, the yep. coaching numbers are far, far less than that. What impact does hiring minority coaches have on opportunities for players? Is there a direct connection? Yeah, well, I, I think the direct connection is – um, we have a league that's that's where seventy percent of the people on the field look one way, um, and when you look at um, head coaches, coaches, NFL team front offices, NFL league front offices, and the ownership ranks, it doesn't look anything like the people who are actually doing the work, and and I think that. That has long been a problem in the National Football League. I, I think that, unfortunately, we've, we've had some former coaches of color who I think ha- have given excuses or cover for the league in this, um, and not all of them, but some, certainly some of them have. There's some organizations out there who have given cover and provided excuses to the league. The league did ask the NFLPA to assist them on improving diversity, and, and we're going to have those conversations with the league during the offseason. Do you think in the next like five to ten years we'll see women actually playing in the NFL? I, I hope so. Um, you know, this year, um, you know, you didn't have to be a football fan to, to cheer for the, the young woman who came off the sidelines to, to kick a field goal for a college team. Um, I, I thought that was fantastic. I think that um, having people who uh, can play at this level, um, it, 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 we should be open um, about all of that. Um, but I really care about improving the transparency and accountability on, on hiring, not only across the coaching ranks, but hiring in team front offices. Um, you know, there, there are a ton of people uh, who work in football, accountants, lawyers, um, actuaries, uh, people people who run their communications departments. Um, those those offices should reflect the diversity of our country and the diversity of, of the people on the field. You mentioned you're a parent, I'm a parent. Obviously, you're concerned about the well-being of, of your child. Um, and you have the job of, of protecting other people's children mm-hmm. right now. Um, the league says on concussions, they're down about 5% this season. We know the chief medical officer at the NFL was recently asked about concussions. Uh, and I want to play for you what he said about when it's safe for a player to return to the field. So the whole goal of the return to play process is, is the brain fully healed? We, we have to understand that we don't have a blood test or a scan that, that tells us that. Right now, our best way to assess as clinicians if the brain is healed is, do we see symptoms reemerge? as someone ramps up that activity. And so that's why we haven't put a particular time stamp on it is because people do recover at different rates. So he's basically saying it's a case by case basis here, but mm-hmm. in your view, you know, does the 
concussion protocol need to be revisited? Should there be a mandatory minimum number of days a player is kept off the field for his own safety? I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, taking us back to 2009, uh, 2010, the, the, the NFL Players Association and the players themselves wrote the first concussion protocols. We didn't have them in the National Football League until the players made a decision that they were going to write these protocols. And the players insisted on sideline concussion experts. Um, and the players insisted on a return to play protocol. Um, the core of that protocol has always been, we're going to follow the science. Um, so right now, most, uh, if not all of our neuroscientists don't believe that there is a mandatory uh, minimum number of days away. I have a tremendous amount of comfort on how we're handling uh, concussions in the National Football League, prim- primarily uh, because uh, they are collectively bargained by, by the union. Um, where I am concerned for example, is a recent report um, analyzing college football that demonstrated that most of their concussions in college football are coming from practices, not games. And we in the National Football League inherit players who are coming through a college system where for some reason their doctors and physicians and coaches and, and NCAA leaders feel that it's okay to have more people suffer concussions in practice uh, than in the game. For some reason, the medical science that we're relying on here um, is medical science that the NCAA refuses to rely on. And, and that's a failure of leadership. Last question. Um, you went to UVA Law School, as I mentioned. Yep. And yep. Uh, before you joined the Players Association, you actually worked at the Justice Department for a bit. I did. Private practice. I did. For all those law school students suffering through their exams who are wondering, <laughs> how do I get a cool job like yours? I mean, how did, how did all of that prep you for working with football players? Um, you know, I think what prepares you the most is, is being curious. You know, being a trial lawyer, you, um, you, you have to learn the facts very, very quickly. Um, you, you have to be able to look around corners. You have to be able to engage in the, the mental rigor of building a narrative and, and figuring out exactly what's going on. So I, I think if I had to look at one trait that was developed there, it was that. Certainly collective bargaining is about advocacy. Uh, but as far as as far as dealing with uh, 2,500 players uh, in the National Football League, I'm not sure anything quite prepares you uh, for that. <laughs> well, thank you, Demaris. We'll be right back. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. 
Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Thank you for listening to Facing Forward. New episodes are available every Friday and join us each week as we make sense of our changing world together. I'm Margaret Brennan. You can also find me on your CBS network broadcast station Sunday mornings on Face the Nation or on our digital network, CBSN at 10.30, 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Sundays or through our CBS All Access app. And be sure to watch Super Bowl 55 this Sunday on CBS. Facing Forward is produced by Face the Nation's Richard Escobedo and Kelsey Miklas. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platforms and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.